A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Movember Radio, a weekly podcast focusing on men's health and the issues that men face today. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Movember is a community of over 5 million men and women who are freshly shaven after their month of growing a moustache, who are committed to changing the face of men's health. And each week on this show, we speak with someone from that community um, and try and get to know their journey and what we can learn from them. Uh, If you like the show, you can uh, rate and comment in iTunes. That does help us out. And you can also subscribe in the podcast app of your choice or find us on SoundCloud. Today, our guest is Australian cricketer Matt Wade. Matt is a survivor of testicular cancer after he was diagnosed and treated at just 15 years of age. Matt lives in Melbourne, Australia. He's a big part of the Australian International Cricket Test Team. He also plays quite high-profile domestic games. His father was a sporting hero. He played for the Hawthorne Football Club, and his cousin is also now playing football for the Essendon Football Club, so sport in their family. Matt's got a wonderful story, things like like he's married to his high school sweetheart. He's the nicest guy, and he's a third-year Mobro. He's passionate about men's health and spreading the word for men to take action when they need to. The Movember Foundation is the official charity partner of Cricket Australia, and Matt was kind enough to join us from his house, where he was recovering after some recent surgery on his collarbone. Don't worry, he'll be back playing soon enough. Enjoy this conversation with Matt Wade. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you very much. Yeah, good. Thank you. Yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Someone told me you were injured, though. Yeah, yeah, I did my collarbone. I got a uh, bit of an operation on my collarbone. Yeah, I broke it, so that takes some bone off my hip and chuck it into my collarbone, but all good now. I love that. We live in this modern world of medicine where you're just like, ah, oh, just put a bit of bone from there, put it up there, everything's fine. Yeah, that's the way it goes. So, all good, though. A couple of weeks and I'll be back. Wow, that's, uh, I should stop. I um, dislocated my shoulder the other day, body surfing with a kid, and I'm whinging. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, it's right, no right. good, is it? I hate being injured. Sucks. Mate, wait till you get to 41. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> might take a little bit longer. Everything stops working. I used to be able to brush stuff off, and, just, <laughs> and it's fine. Now I'm just like, what do you mean, surgeon? A couple of months. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. So, mate, where do we find you today? For folks listening uh, all over the world, where in the world are you today? I'm in Melbourne, Australia, in uh, my house in Hyatt. So just chilling out, actually, after training. Uh, okay, so uh, you are carrying an injury at the moment, but you are you are still training? Yeah, yeah, I've done a collarbone, but I'm still uh, doing a little bit. I went in, I hit a ball today for the first time in two weeks, so I've made real progression. I'm hitting tennis balls off 
a cricket bat. So another couple of weeks and hopefully I can, I can move on to cricket balls. Right, but backyard cricket is okay. Backyard beach cricket, all sweet. Anything uh, a little bit harder than a tennis ball, I've got to chill out. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, folks know you as a, as a, a highly applauded test cricketer uh, for Australia, but you come from a bit of a, a line of a sportsman, don't you? Yeah, my my dad managed to play VFL AFL footy for Hawthorne. He played about 13 games, and my cousin's playing AFL for – well, he was at Melbourne. He played 100 games there, and now he's he shot off to Collingwood, which is hard to take for me, but uh, we'll move on. So, yeah, it's it's pretty cool to have a cousin playing in the AFL, and obviously me doing what I do, we, we can relate and uh, chill out and uh, have a good time. So what was it like growing up with a dad that was – you know, such an active sportsman. Yeah, it was cool. I loved it so much. I obviously grew up around football grounds and around sporting teams. So um, I lived most of my life at Bell Reeve Oval for the for the first 10 or 12 years. Um, so it was awesome to have Dad involved in sport. He's still general manager of AFL Tasmania down there, so he's held heavily involved in sporting teams and sporting clubs as well. So, um, yeah, most of my life's been spent at cricket grounds or footy grounds and um, mucking around in the backyard playing sports. So it's it's cool. I love it. It's uncommon, though, for a kid, like a young kid, to be around. There's men, there's groups of men, and then there's locker rooms at football grounds. It's uncommon for a young kid to be exposed to that. Yeah, correct. Yeah, it is It is completely different. Hanging around a football club or, yeah, around sporting change rooms is certainly an eye-opener. You learn some things probably that you shouldn't learn at that age and you get told not to take it home to mum, you know, that what, what happened at the football club stays at the footy club. But, um, you know, I learned so much there. I'm wandering around just... With other kids, I suppose, was the cool thing. Dad would go and play footy, drop me off at 10 o'clock at the ground, and he'd play footy, and I'd just wander around with other kids playing sport and meeting a lot of different people. That That's the cool thing about football clubs or cricket clubs or sporting clubs in general. You meet so many different families, and every every mum and dad, it was kind of your mum and dad, you'd sneak off and grab a bit of lunch with them in the stand and then go somewhere else for another half an hour. That was, it was awesome fun. <laughs> was it a foregone conclusion that you'd go into sport? Yeah, I think it was. I always wanted to play AFL footy to start with. That's what I told all my teachers. So I wasn't the greatest student on earth. I struggled. I struggled to concentrate in class. All I wanted to really do was be outside enjoying myself. So um, I think it was. If I didn't have sport, it would have been uh, interesting to see where I'd be at now. But, yeah, thankful that I that it all paid off and, you know, the hard work that I put in uh, is certainly paying off now, yeah. Was that a key for you? Did you see other mates that didn't have that? I mean, I'm assuming to get to the level of you know, cricket that you've got to, it was school games, club games, training many afternoons a week. Did you see other mates of yours that weren't doing that take a different path? Yeah, I think that was the, the weird thing for me. Obviously, I grew up wanting to play AFL, so a lot of my mates were, were AFL-based kind of players. So to give up the summer, I suppose, was for a young person, was it was certainly hard. I, I didn't enjoy it at times to give up a full Saturday when your mates are going to the beach and girls are first coming into your life go to the beach with your mates and chase girls around that I'm at the cricket ground stuck at 35 degree heat playing cricket it was certainly something that wasn't easy but something that I wanted to do so I knew that I had to give up little bits and pieces here and there of um, I suppose of you when you're growing up you've got to give up something to, to get to where you got to get to and that was that was what I had to give up and um, thankfully I was I was strong enough and people pointed me in the, the right direction enough to, to keep me involved in cricket on those hot Saturday afternoons that I, I now can do it as a profession. What did uh, what did you learn about, I guess, you know, keeping yourself in that in that mindset from your dad? 
Yeah, well, obviously, Dad being a sportsman helped massively, but um, I suppose cricket compared to footy is a little bit different. We've got a little bit um, different preparation than what football players have. We can go out and uh, have a feed and one or two beers to relax before the game, whereas uh, footy players are no drinking for you know days and weeks on end. So I think my old man struggled to come to grips with that sort of thing to start with. But yeah, I, I certainly think if I didn't have mum and dad and my family around, that I wouldn't have probably pushed as hard as what I did. I think um, you know. You always want to make your, your parents proud, so that's uh, something that certainly drives me even to this day. When you were still in high school, you faced a health challenge that isn't normally faced by teenagers. That's, I mean, even grown men are terrified of, of the thing that you face. Can you talk, talk us through it? Yeah, when I was uh, I was 15 or 16, I was uh, diagnosed with testicular cancer. It was kind of a bit of an eye-opener, to be honest. I had a bit of a sore testicle, and I went on a school trip and to the snow and, and did that for a day, came back, and I kind of embarrassing at that age to tell your mum that you got a bit of a sore testicle, and I, I basically just went and got it checked out. It was just um, down to my local GP, which was two minutes around from my house. I thought I'd be there and back in the, in the hour, and uh, we'd have it sorted, all done, and yeah, they found a, a small tumour on my testicle, and I had to go and get an ultrasound and then um, from there, yeah, when I had two cycles of chemotherapy, had my testicle removed, something that was a bit of a shock. So that was all in the one day, you know, at one minute you're, you're thinking, you know, you're going to be back home in an hour and then the next, uh, yeah, at five o'clock at night, you, you've realised that you've got testicular cancer. So it was a bit of an eye-opener. Um, from there, uh, yeah, uh, I got the testicle removed and then I think the, the biggest challenge for me at that stage was the chemotherapy side of things. I didn't really, at, my, at that age, I didn't really understand what it was all about to sit down and get told that I had to have chemotherapy and lose all my hair and, and that kind of thing. That's probably when it, it hit home. I'd grown up seeing, you know, kids have cancer and, um, you know, have the shaved head and stuff like that. But then when, when it happens, I think that's probably where it really hit home. This was pretty serious. But, um, yeah, I was so lucky to have family and friends. I think it was a blessing in disguise to have something happen that young that, you know, mates at that age, we would never have spoken about some of the things that we'd spoken about at, at that age, at 15 years of age, and to have a close-knit family and a group of mates that we'll able to sit around and discuss issues that actually happen in life at it. I mean to have it happen that early was probably yeah, a blessing in disguise as I said so we could we could really have a chat and talk about some of the things that you probably wouldn't talk about when you're 15 16 years of age with some of your close mates about how much you love them um, but you know that, that's that's what brought us all really close and those guys are still very close to me now I go back to Tassie and and see them at a drop of a hat and my parents are from Tasmania and I go home as much as I can and see my family so it's it's an interesting thing my partner Julia that I'm now married she was around at that stage as well so um yeah it's kind of kept us all really close together so it's it's uh it was a blessing in disguise that's how i look at it now but yeah certainly tough at the time i'm interested to know as a young man as a, as a teenager what's it like being told well the first round of chemotherapy not quite there we're going to have to go again yeah i think um Although we are always told we'll probably do two cycles. So the first cycle was like a, it was a week of full chemotherapy. Then it was two days the next week. And after I got through that first week, I was going okay. It was probably the week after the, the two days that I had to do it in that week that it, it really hit me. I got sick, really sick, and um, vomiting, all the stuff that happens when you go through chemotherapy. Yeah, that was probably the hardest stage. And then 
having to go back and do it for another full week, um, seven days in at the hospital, pretty much six, seven hours a day, getting um, stuff put into your arm, fluids put through you. It was a, it was a long process, but I was lucky. Lucky I had my mum and my dad and my family members there to sit down with me. Pretty much, they were there the whole time that I was in there. So um, yeah, it was that was probably the hardest bit, knowing that I had to go back and it was going to make me as sick as it did. Um, that was probably the toughest part at that age to get through. Did you uh, have to spend much time off the field? I'm imagining you did. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of, uh, it was kind of strange. It was in between. I finished the football season. It was in between kind of footy and cricket, so it was pre-season. Um, it was pre-season for cricket, and I was just, I was lucky. I had a couple of coaches that were actually dragging me to training. Like at that stage of my life, I reckon that's one area. Like that month, I could have dropped off and really just done nothing when I had a chance to, but. I was pretty lucky I had some coaches and stuff that would, would literally drag me to the training and, and make me do as much as I could. Um, a lot of it, I couldn't do a lot. I was trying my hardest to do as much as I could, but obviously losing a lot of strength and stuff like that that you didn't know that you'd lost at the time. That was that was difficult, but I was lucky that they dragged me to training and got me back on the horse pretty quick. I am one of four boys. I went to an all-boys school. I know how boys can be with nicknames. How long did you last before the nickname started? Yeah, before you started calling it. Yeah, it, it lasted a while, to be honest. And then uh, probably would have been six or seven months, and then it started all up again. And then, <laughs> yeah, some of my mates now are just so used to it that they'll just bring it up out of the blue. People that you barely even know just bring it up and just start nicknaming it. Whoa, okay. Maybe they didn't need to know that, but, yeah, it didn't take long. But that's that's... That's mates, and that's uh, the way that the boys kind of. If if blokes are bringing up issues of testicular cancer and stuff like that through a little bit of, of stuff that happens like that, then it's better to, to talk about it than not at all, I suppose. Now you mentioned something a little before as well that the woman you're now married to was a part yeah. of your life back then. That's uncommon, man. Yeah, I know. We got married oh, two and a half years ago now, so we were together nine or ten years before that. Yeah, so pretty much my two sisters I met, we met through my sisters and at the age of, um, we must got together, at, I must have been 14, so we'd been together for about 12 months and then, yeah, this all happened, so it brought us together pretty quick. It made us both grow up pretty quick. That's um, that's one thing that people met us. We're only 27 but and 28, but we've, uh, we're definitely grown up pretty quick from experiences like that and I suppose growing up in Taz we moved out of home I came to Melbourne when I was 18 and Julia did the same so we've uh we're just about to have a baby actually in March so that's pretty cool so yeah it's been uh it's been an interesting 10 years 11 years now mate you've you've packed a lot in there (laughs) yeah I know I know it's been a bit happened 27 sometimes I'm like wow I can't even remember what happened back then but yeah 14 we, we we got together it was it's so so crazy you're married to your high school sweetheart. That is yeah, brilliant. correct. Yeah, correct. That's that's brilliant. So how how do you feel about you know the idea that you're going to be a dad? Yeah, I'm so I'm really excited. I can't wait. So um, yeah, March. I'm, I'm maybe in the 2020 World Cup right at the time it's going to happen. So that's a little bit of a issue right now. But hopefully we can work that out. But oh, yeah, I can't wait to, to become a, a dad. And I'm the first one in my family that's that's having a baby, so the family's pretty excited as well. So it's going to be an awesome experience. Is everyone coming from all sides with advice for you? Yeah, of course they are. Yeah, <laughs> there's always advice. Or the the most common one is sleep. And I'm, I'm terrified of the sleep issue. I think I'm going to be the crankiest bloke for a few months, but I'll have to find a way. Good coffee machine, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I think that's going to have to be the one down the road for, for a lot of coffee. <laughs>
Now, you, uh, you know, you grew up, as you said before, you grew up spending a lot of time with uh, a lot of other kids, but also men. And then, you know, as you became more professional in your sporting life and then full time, you're, you're just around dudes yeah, all the time. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. All the time. And how would you say that relationship between the guys, would you say the guy, the relationship you had between those guys when you were 15, 16, talking through the, you know, the testicular cancer, is that echoed in the men? Have you managed to keep that around, you know, that's what you expect from a relationship with another man? Yeah, it is. I think that the cool thing about, well, not the cool thing, the, the thing that happened with the whole issue when I was 15 is that when I, yeah, when I became a professional sportsman, I think that's probably when the message started to become a lot clearer about how I could use my story and, and teach and um, provide opportunities for people to talk about it at young age as well as, you know, adults as we are now. So I think my story, um, a lot of people know before they meet me, which which is actually really cool because you get the opportunity to, to discuss issues that you would not normally discuss if it wasn't out there that, you know, I did have testicular cancer at 15 and um, I think for people that people that more people that know that is actually better for the more the groups that I'm involved with and then people outside of that that, that see me play sport that can relate to that now. You know, there's so many people going through it a lot worse than what I got. Um, I'm just thankful that doing what I can do can probably spread, spread the message a little bit further than, than uh, every other person can. What you learned about dealing with such a, an issue, the way you spoke earlier about talking with your mates about it, processing it together. Do you still, when other issues come up in your life, and I know you've been through some heavy stuff in the last last year, do you still keep up that, like, I know how to get through this is to talk to my friends about it? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I think you know the hardest thing is to start talking to people about it, but um, I got the opportunity to do that at a young age. But yeah, when I when I've got relationships with other people, or as being a captain of a, a cricket team, I think um, I'm I'm really in, interested in getting conversations out there to, to be able to speak about things straight away, whether it be um, health issues or anything in life. To be to be honest, I'm pretty upfront and honest kind of guy. Um, I don't shirk away from the issue a lot of the time now, and I think that was into me through what I went through but yeah um yeah as a as a man as a 
captain as the cricketer, I think, yeah, it's something that I've definitely carried through my life and I'm, I'm really keen to, when I meet people, be upfront and honest and um, discuss issues that probably other people wouldn't. What would you say to guys who might be a little reluctant to, to talk about this kind of stuff? Yeah, I think the hardest thing is to start it. Like at 15, don't get me wrong, I wasn't too keen to, to talk about my feelings to my to my mum and my dad and my, my girlfriend at the time and my best mates. I wasn't too keen to discuss what was going through my mind. But I think once you do it as hard as it is at the start, it feels like, you know, a weight's lifted off your shoulders and you can kind of relate with those people on a different level. You can kind of catch up and discuss a lot of different things rather than just trying to shy away from maybe an issue that you don't want to speak about. As soon as you speak about the thing you don't want to talk about, it kind of you can kind of move on and start discussing other things in your life and getting on with your life a little bit more. I think, you know, the first discussion is definitely the hardest, but it's just trying to find a way to get it out of the way and get it done. And then you, that re- your relationship with that person is so much different once you've um, discussed the hard issue. Um, you know, you, you've definitely got a friendship for life. You mentioned before that you had some great people around you who, while you were recovering from the chemotherapy, they still dragged you out. They got you physically active. Yeah. What role does uh, being physically active now, I mean, aside from being, you know, the training that you have to do as a, a professional, yeah. um, what role does being physically active play in, in keeping your head straight and keeping your mind clear? Yeah, a massive, massive part. I enjoy fishing, playing golf like a lot of blokes do, but I think that in what I do to keep a clear mind 100% to get outside of the house, get away from the cricket ground, go and fishing with my mates or go and play golf or, you know, go and have a kick of the footy, whatever it is, just to get out and get away from everyday life it keeps my head clear. Um, and, you know, exactly what you said, to be able to drag other people that you think might be having a bad run in their job or in our sport might be struggling to get runs, just to be able to drag them away from what they do day-to-day life and, and just get them to have a bit of fun and relax like, Let's be honest, sometimes a lot of people are at their happiest when they're, as they're a kid and all you do as a kid is basically play. So if you can get away from your work and go and just, just have a good time, that's, that's the key. You're in a, a very high-pressure job. You know, not a lot of people have a job where millions and millions of people watch them at work and if they have just the slightest bad day at work, <laughs> it's on the front page of national yeah, newspapers. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. How, fun. How do you even begin to deal with that? It's crazy. Like, I don't think, yeah, I don't think I dealt, I dealt with it very well, to be honest. I was 23 or 24 when I first played for Australia, and that three or four years, yeah. The first 12 months is all cool because everyone's all over you. It's sweet. You're the new kid on the block and you're playing pretty good cricket. Once you start having a bit of a dip, like you said, that's when the pressure build up and it get really tough. So um, exactly what we've been speaking about, I didn't deal with it well, but I think after the experience, once I got dropped and actually sat down and was able to speak to my family for a period of time because we're away so much, you don't get a chance to do that all the time to speak to my family and my friends and probably work out, you know, how did I deal with that? And I wasn't very good, so I was trying to find a way that next time I got an opportunity to deal with it better and thankfully um, surrounding myself with the right people, keeping myself in the right mind space throughout playing and off the field. Um, I, I got a chance to play for Australia again and, and I've enjoyed it. I've really just embraced it again. You mentioned surrounding yourself with the right people. Could you talk a little more about that? Yeah, I think just having someone there to speak to outside of the circle like the Australian cricket team is a big bubble especially and same with Victoria so whether it's my wife or whether it's my mum and my dad my best mate's a good one because he doesn't watch cricket all that much just anyone that you can kind of get away from and just have a chat to him about but um, once once I do that I suppose it's more filtering it through your own mind and trying to move on straight away that's that's the hardest thing in my profession and probably in uh, a lot of people's personal lives it's trying to move on from the bad experience straight away and look for the next one 
and I think that's something that I've had to learn and it's only come with experience and age um, to be able to, you know, put a bad experience behind you. It's easy to say, but it's very hard to do. Yeah, I mean, not everyone listening right now is going to go out and try and get out of a single-digit batting slump and get back into <laughs> yeah, the 50s, yeah. all right? Yeah, right. But I'm sure everyone has had that. Yeah. Everyone listening has definitely had that, like, I just can't get back in front of the game. You know, I can't, I'm having, this is my, my sales figures aren't right or I'm just not closing deals or I'm, the kids just won't talk to me, you know? <laughs> yeah, what correct. would you say to people who are going through that kind of, that kind of slump? What are some things that people can do? I think for me especially is just to simplify it a lot. Just, you know, my, in the end, what am I doing it for? In the end, what's life all about? I think that putting what you're doing into perspective was pro- is probably the biggest thing that I can do. So whether that's my family, my friends, or getting away and fishing and playing golf, just trying to find a clear vision of why do I actually do what I do and am I enjoying it? Like if I'm, if I'm doing it for other people or if I'm doing it just for the money or whatever it is, it doesn't really matter why you're doing it, but try, I just try and work out, you know, what, what am I doing this for and then try and really push on with it and enjoy it. And if I'm not enjoying it, then it's time to look for a new job, I think. <laughs> what role have mentors? I know in, in the, the, cric- the, the cricket uh, organisation that there's, there's quite the, the structure there of players and ex-players that talk to the current team. What role have mentors played in your career? Yeah, massive. You know, I've got mentors away from the game and mentors in the game. I think Michael Clark was a huge mentor for me when I first got in the Australian team and still is a mentor now. I still speak to him. And um, now that he's outside of the team, he's a very good mentor to have because I can kind of bounce ideas off him. But um, everyone goes into a work environment um, and generally you kind of – you find a little click, you find three or four people that you really you hang around with a lot. So that that was what happened to me in the Australian cricket team. I had mentors within the team and generally they were older people. Um, I managed to find from that a few people outside of the team, whether that whether that be catch up with a guy like Ian Healy who's big into wicket keeping just for a coffee and he doesn't see you every day. He sees you once every now and then just to have a chat about things and more about life than, than cricket. And uh, obviously, yeah, family and friends, mum and dad are a huge one. Dad's probably, you know, the biggest one with, with most men and, and sport or work. They generally catch up a lot, go to the pub and have a beer and just have a chat about um, how things are going. He's probably the biggest one. He probably see things that I don't see before I notice it. So um, they're, they're probably my biggest mentors. What's the, just to talk about cricket for a moment, what's the biggest misconception people have about wicket keepers? <laughs> I don't know if it's a misconception. We're always told we're really chirpy and we're, you know, always the first bloke to get into a batter, which is probably the case, but we're so close and that's kind of how you're bred as a wicket keeper. You need to be in the game all the time. You control the energy of the field, all that kind of stuff. But I think the perception is generally they love a chat and they usually talk a lot of crap and chirp way too much. Generally, that's the general conception. <laughs> <laughs> And I know that, you know, I've often wondered about this, that sledging is a part of the game. Is there a line for you that you will and won't cross? Yeah, I think there is now, absolutely. When, when I was younger, when I came into the team, there was sledging was real big, and especially when I first got into test cricket, sledging was really common. Now it's kind of, it's actually tapered off a bit, which is, I think it's the way that the world's really going. I think, like we've been speaking about with men's health and depression and all that kind of stuff, I think people are a lot more aware of 
the boundaries. So when I first come in, there were very, very little boundaries. But now there, there's certain boundaries, especially, you know, um, you know, health, family, friends, all that kind of stuff. That never ever comes onto the field anymore. So it's, it's definitely tamed down. And I think that's probably a culmination of, of everything that goes on outside of the cricket ground. But there's still time for it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, it's, it's a part of the game. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a part, whether, whether we like it or not. It's a, it's a, it's a part of the game. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> so just done cricket again. When you are in the 90s, yeah. looking at the century, yep. how do you just kind of keep it together? What do you do? Well, there's a lot of different things. You can really try and find a song that you can sing to try and distract you. So <laughs> no matter what you're on, try and find an outlet and just try and chill out, whether that's a song or whatever you usually do, walk away from the wicket. When you're in the 90s, you try and do that, but it never, ever works generally. <laughs> generally, all you're thinking about is getting the right. I don't care what anyone ever says, like, oh, I don't get nervous. Like, late 90s, you definitely get nervous. Oh, maybe I'll just do a six here or just one shot. I'll just bring it up with one shot. You always stuff it up your first three or four times, and then the only way you get better at it is, is actually experience being in that situation. And again, once you get there, just trying to find a way to relax and then it is a great feeling, probably the best feeling in cricket by an absolute mile once you, once you uh, find a way to get those runs to get to 100. But the first few times, you're not very good at it. You're very, very poor at it. <laughs> so um, when we uh, do these interviews, I always kind of wrap yep. up with the same, the same kind of questions. Okay. Um, so I'd be interested to know, what is it about Movember that has drawn you towards Movember? Uh, obviously, the experiences that I had at a young age and then once November really started to kick off, I think the awareness that it raised really quickly, um, you know, it's really easy to meet someone on the street and you can generally tell whether they grow a mo permanently or whether they don't. <laughs> generally, it's the dirtier and terrible-looking one that you do just over November and it can start conversations so easily. I think that's the cool thing about it that, you know, it doesn't – you don't have to really dive into someone to speak about it. It's pretty obvious that we're growing a move to raise awareness and it, and it makes the subject a lot more easy to speak about. What's the quality that you appreciate most in your mates? Honesty, I think. I think the ability to have a tough conversation or pull you up on something that you're not doing real well, I think – my mates, we hang a lot of shit on each other and I think if I didn't have that, then you'd never know how grounded you're going to be or how far you're going to run the, the wrong direction. I think we've we've got a great ability to be able to dish enough punishment out but then give enough love to, to keep everyone happy and everyone grounded. They pull you up? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, if I was carrying on like a, a big head or uh, thinking I was, I was doing all right, they'd tell me first up straight away. <laughs> no hesitations. If you could pick up a phone and just call, you know, eighteen-year-old Matt, yeah, what what would you tell him? Uh, enjoy the ride. Strap yourself in and just enjoy the ride. I think don't take life too serious at times. Just enjoy the experience that that whatever you do, whether it's whether it was me for cricket or or work or whatever I ended up doing, I think I'd just like to, like we spoke about before, I got the opportunity to to probably learn that early when I got testicular cancer that after that I was just like, life's a ride, you just got to enjoy it. Now, having a conversation with you, I think the first thing I'm going to do when I get off the phone is go check my testicles. (laughs) Yep. How do you feel knowing that most blokes, after (laughs) they meet you, the next time they touch their testicles, they'll be thinking of you? Yeah, it's no, no one's really actually said it like you have, so I haven't thought about it like that. So I'm not sure if I'm I'm enjoying that tag or that sticker attached to me. But oh well, whatever I've got to do. 
You're saving lives, Matt. Yeah, I know, I know. You're saving lives. <laughs> thanks, thanks. <laughs> Mate, I hope the collarbone heals up as well as you can. And look, all that powers and significance to the fact that you're about to be your father. That is absolutely astonishing. Yes, Congratulations. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Both you and the wife. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, mate. Thank you. Not a problem anytime. And that was Matt Wade. What a chat. What an absolute chat. He's got a great Twitter uh, profile as well if you want to go check him out there. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. You can subscribe to the show in the podcast app of your choice on iTunes or you can find us in SoundCloud. You know how to find podcasts. You're listening to one. This episode was produced by myself, Oshie Ginsberg, Molly Hindman, Lavanya Nagendran. Music was by Toe Hider and audio production on this episode was by Daryl Misson. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.